Welcome to the Gifted Neurodivergent Child Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the understanding and cultivating the anti-genius and gifted neurodivergent children. Welcome to the Gifted Neurodivergent Child Podcast. My name is Lillian Skinner, and our other host is... Beth Ann Johnson. Parenting is such a lonely journey. <laughs> and if you are listening to this podcast and our stories are resonating with you, I am so glad you found us because... My t-shirt should say, keep calm and call Lillian. And um, so that's exactly what I did. I had to go back into my oldest son's school and give feedback to the director, specifically not with any concerns with his teachers or things like that, but specifically just with the communication style I was receiving as a parent. And... I would love to tell you that I have it all figured out and that feedback went superb. And yet I'm still reliving that meeting. And I actually even tried to call that director on my way home to just say what I received in email feedback seems that you're trying to make me out as a parent who feels uncomfortable with this neurodivergent need. What I want to reiterate is the messages were very deficit focused rather than focusing on what currently is. And there was concern shared for the future. And all I asked is we are not four years old yet. We are not in big school So why don't we focus on the here and now and making sure the current is environment and needs are being met? Um, And that feedback wasn't very received well. What was your reflection, Lillian, in hearing all these (laughs) stories? This is something you're going through and you will go through many, many more times because this is my experience. And every time I run into this, because I have been parenting now for 23 years, It's been repeatedly a same scenario with each new place we went. And yet my oldest got into Berkeley and my middle kid is 14 in college. So obviously I was correct and they were not. But the system has a history of destroying genius. And genius is found in neurodivergence. And I don't care how you slice it. It is our children that that we need to accommodate for and their differences to allow them to be their fullest potential. Regardless of whether or not they're going to be genius, their fullest potential is found in knowing and trusting that they are brilliant in their own way and that they need to be cultivated as such. I always think of back to when I was sitting across from my middle kid's teacher, and this is when she was 10, nine years old, and the math teacher saying she's falling behind in math. And I'm saying, how can she be falling behind in math? She just tested into 18th grade And they're saying, well, she doesn't know how to actually write that down. She does it in her head and that doesn't count. And I was like, okay, she can do math to 18th grade level, but she is disabled because she's not writing it down because you're working on multiplication, which she can do in her head. And therefore it doesn't count and she is disabled. Let me just wonder if Einstein's mother right now had to go through this because I'm guessing that this is why the boy had low grades. (laughs) (laughs) Because if we go back and look at history, they always say that unless you're doing it in this way, you are disabled. But yet it is the people who have 
profound giftedness or profound intellect in in a different manner because they're different that are the ones who move forward the whole thing, the whole shebang. Like I work in emerging tech and I have for 20 years and I have learned that the top one to 2% of the population is actually what moves the whole entire population forward. It is not the 80-20 rule. It's actually the one to 2%. And if your child is like my child or Beth Ann's child or children, if your children are like our children, you have a one to two percenter. If they're going into normal classes, and they have neurodivergence, they're on the top one to 2% and they will move the world forward as long as you allow them to be who they naturally are. And we have a system that has actually actively destroyed that because they want to control our children. And that's what they're trying to do again is trying to control him. So Bethann needs this break. I get that. I totally needed my break too. And I used to work it so that my kids went into a foreign language school because they didn't have the same conditioning that the American schools did. And they let my children be a more emotional, more everything that they are. But we have a system that is trying to, in one way, say we need creativity. We foster creativity while still controlling children who are creative, who need the freedom and saying there's something wrong with them. When that happens, all I can see is a million zillion colors of frustration and I go home because this person is working actively against me because they truly believe what their education taught them and they have not grown since then. And I have, and you have, and your child is the reason, is the catalyst, but I guess they don't have that or they've chosen not to take it and I have to go my own way. And my own way is my intuition. Those colors, those screaming, all those emotions, that is your, that is your spatial giftedness in your brain saying, nope, this is not true, and I just need to figure out exactly why so I can say it like my daughter could with the math. She knew what the answer was, but she wasn't sure how she got there. And I know what the answer is, but I wasn't sure how I got there. This is a beautiful lesson for everyone because we're going to learn intuition, <laughs> how to realize intuition because of this. Yeah, and the key thing to of intuition is you are the subject matter expert of your child. So trusting that intuition. And I think for so long, and that's part of that conditioning you're talking about, is we teach people to distrust their intuition. Your, your intuition is wrong. Um, and that message is in fact wrong, right? Yeah. So here we are to say that, listen to your gut, right? That's where that expression comes from. It's natural. We have to allow them to be who they are just so they can get in touch with it. And this need to control them, this need to put them in a box is about the worst thing we can possibly do for them, especially if they're high sensing and neurodivergent, because you're literally cutting them off from their genius. Yeah. And I finally made everyone at the school start to say, he is so smart. Because at first I was just like, do you know he's smart? Lillian and I edited our previous podcast from a few weeks ago. And I listened to that podcast and I said to Lillian, like, I want to go back and hug her. Meaning like a week ago, me. (laughs) I was so sad. And you know, my son, and so that is what I did. I, I went to the school, I started to coach them and have them say, he is so smart. And so that, that was the energy that they were bringing and working with my joyfully sweet, 
kind, big-hearted guy. There is so much that I want to express and part of that contradiction I experienced in speaking with the director was he's introverted. He's fine on his own. Like that's totally fine. And then saying in the same breath or in the very next sentence, we're concerned, concerned because he's not initiating. What do you want me to do with that? Because he is initiating in his own way and he is receptive to what his peers are doing. And I've already shared with them that the peer-to-peer people his age are the more challenging of the age group. He's an old soul. He gets along so much better with adults. Coming at it from this perspective of, look, my son's potential is is amazing. It's unknown. And you are trying to figure out how to be the best parent you can be for him because you can't lose by choosing the potential of a genius. You can't lose by going with the idea that your son has the potential to be amazing because even if your son ends up being, not that I don't think he is because there's just really zero chance, but even if your son is not amazing, he will turn out more amazing either way if you shoot for amazing. So why would they want to go where they're going? The reason they want to go where they're going is because it's about control. It's about them getting to determine where the child goes and who the child is and what the child will be. And they are the ones who determine that potential. And our whole entire system is about determining your potential instead of letting you. And then we talk about free will, but yet we have a system that gives you all this testing. We have a system that gives you access to certain classes, but not to others. Access to certain, whether it be a via money or via testing or grades or whatever, where they dictate what you can and cannot be. And that is kind of going away because of AI. AI will be a teacher that lets you have access to all the best information in some cases, or all the information that's at least fairly well averagely known so that you can do your own research in over and above it to come up with your own ideas. And this is going to change everything because instead of us having to write it down and prove ourselves to get through to the next class, we're going to be able to do this in our own home. And this is what I'm doing right now. And this is what you're doing right now, where I am creating a new way of seeing spatial giftedness in those of us with neurodivergence, because I believe our spatial giftedness allows us to grow to a degree that average does not even realize is out there. The reason you go to the doctor and sometimes you get a doctor that you feel seen by and most of the time you don't is because you just met a neurodivergent. The reason you go to a florist and she gives you an amazing floral and you're like, holy cow, this is the most beautiful one I've ever seen. And the rest of the time you go and get one and you're like, oh, I paid that much money for this is because you just met a neurodivergent. You've met a spatially gifted person who can see in ways that you cannot teach. And that's what our children offer the world. And that's why they're identifying us because they haven't identified us. They've gotten us really cheap for generations now where they didn't identify the giftedness that was outside math and science. Literally, they don't identify the giftedness in English because I have already said it before in my podcast. My kids who are gifted in the English philosophy humanities, they do worse than their sister who is gifted in the math and sciences and does the least amount of effort in the Englishes and yet scores higher than they do, which is mind boggling to me because she's not trying and they're trying with all their heart and soul and they're punished for it. And I've just come to realize that the whole system set up to identify math and science to semi-cultivate it, but not in a healthy way, because if you're really healthy, 
You're like this prodigy that I just read about in China who went into school at 10 and now he's 26 or 8. He told his parents he wasn't going to go get his PhD unless they bought him a $2 million or $1 million apartment in China. And so they did, but they only rented it. They didn't actually buy it for him. So now he's stopped working. <laughs> he said, well, that apartment would be now worth $10 million so they can pay for me because... <laughs> because they never bought me that apartment. And that was the deal. And I got my PhD and I don't feel like working this hard. They didn't cover their half of the, the agreement. And everybody's, can you believe this kid doesn't want to work? And it's like, can you believe he would want to work so hard to just make a bunch of other people rich? Do we not realize that our system, it's set up so that the smartest people are exploited and that they're not actually benefiting themselves? I mean, if you go into college right now and you come up with amazing things, the credit goes to your professor, not you. I am running into this with my own children. I'm running into this with myself. It's like I could go to college and I could put down all this information that I figured out about spatial giftedness, but then I'd give the credit to the professor I'm under and don't want to do that. Does that make me a bad person for wanting to keep my own credit? But if your child's a smart child, like this prodigy in China, they're going to be like, I don't really feel like making a bunch of other people rich. I would rather just pursue my thing as I want to pursue it. And that will be okay in the future because we have all the tools to do this. Your child will be able to be independent and change the world. And I think that's beautiful. And I want to encourage that. And the only way you encourage that is by allowing yourself to trust that intuition and not letting people who are part of the system tell you otherwise. And it's so beautiful, too, when you find, like you were mentioning, finding the doctor that you connect with, they're likely neurodivergent, right? And when I entered consult, it can be really intimidating, but the joy there is I just worked with a client yesterday and we were sharing kind of our woes of our family's concerns when we started to go into business for ourselves. They work in the medical industry and it was said to them, how will you work in the medical profession if you don't take insurance? And we both laughed because, you know, insurance is great if you have it, but it's also a game and a tool and a part of the system, right? And those systems are really kind of being checked right now, if you will. It's not just our kids, it's us and our experiences in the workforce. And um, I really hope that this message finds the parents, one, for their children. Your children are beautifully and wonderfully made, just as they are. They are whole, and we want to invest in them and in turn invest in you to just say your experiences are valid as well. I think it's it's super uncomfortable because of the conditioning that we've received as children, the unlearning that we have to do to just say, you know what, this is the right track for me. This was the moment that I knew Lillian was my person is that she she, she knew highly sensitive people. I come from a family of highly sensitive people. Um, my mother was a retired educator. Um, she only could work in education for 15 years before standardized testing really took away her joy and she pivoted and then just in turn, uh, became a tutor for neurodivergent children. That is what she did. She met with kids and learned through play 
this is how their brain works. Okay, let's just teach you by how your brain naturally learns processes. So for example, from her teaching is one of her students, he called a key a door unlocker. And she said, oh my gosh. So he categorizes for my mom. She was like, my brain does things by alphabetical order, right? So I go through the process of A, B, C, D, which one fits. Well, his brain works on actions. So what does the object do? And then she taught, you know, those concepts and math and science by how his brain would kind of cohesively put this knowledge together. And so that was my childhood, was my mom kind of being an entrepreneur herself, a storyteller, an educator, and using her powers to do a world of good for children who the system had said, you are less than. And my mom said, oh no, you just learn differently and that's beautiful. And my mom learned that about herself through therapy and coming across um, this research. And I really do think highly sensitive people, we are going to save the world, just like Lillian says. You know, we because it's that intuition. And I really want to give credit um, to my, my mother and father. I come from a really healthy place of knowing creativity is a superpower because they first taught me and um, it's a huge part of my business creativity in strategy so bringing creativity and strategy to our parenting and being that future focus to see that your how your child learns and teaching them how to thrive and just like Lillian shared through that intuition we should have your mom come on this. She could be our third person. I'm sure we'd learn a lot from her. Talking about my director's experience the other day, right? I'm like, what do your spidey senses tell you about this future? Because I'm so, I'm drowning. I'm treading the water. I'm just trying to keep my head afloat and my son's head afloat. And this is what Lillian helps me process. Where's the life raft? And Lillian throws it and we catch it. She, she helps us. And when you are in the thick of it, trying to figure out not only just the next right thing, but also what are the, the keys to thriving? That director is coming from a place of love. It did not feel like love, to be fair, in the moment. But what she didn't want is for a system to destroy the beauty of my child. She's also coming from a place of fear because she's afraid the system will destroy your child. My whole goal in life has been to not live in fear. I came from a place of fear. I grew up in poverty. My parents were artists and there was no money there to get lawyers if we screwed up. My parents were constantly trying to lock us down so that when we went out into the world, we didn't add to their misery. <laughs> Controlling your child and trying to make them so that they're not a risk to themselves or to the family or to the community actually ends up destroying the child. That fear-based, you know, you need to be less than yourself and you need to contain yourself, that keeps the child from developing as they ought to. What I would like is the opposite. The destruction I see and the callousness I see in small children, like the ones that make my heart stop in, in fear, is because they've been controlled. They've learned that Nothing matters more than perception. Reality 
is bendable. Reality is almost irrelevant that as long as they are perceived a certain way, then it doesn't matter who they truly are. And that is the greatest shame ever. After my call, I felt really good initially after the conversation. There were a few key components that kind of I was like, oh, I wish I had refined this or shared that. It was the the long-winded email that concerned me because what my spidey senses told me is she's trying to say that I'm a parent who's unprepared to hear what she has to say. And that's not true. What I was trying to do, and this is where it was, I'm going to go corporate on your app, right? I'm going to give you the data points and I'm going to write it up as HR and I got angry, right? It's like, shame on you. That is not what I said. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to swing by your door and I'm going to say, hey, I want to make it clear. I believe in therapies. I believe in intervention services. And I know my child is neurodivergent and gifted. And I own that. What I was trying to achieve was I have felt since February that your feedback is abrasive. When I ask you to quit focusing on the future and focus on the present, it was because I need you to get my oldest son in the healthiest place now. It's not her place. You're his future. That's exactly right. I'm the subject matter expert on my son's experience. I have his best interests at heart for his future. I will worry about the future. What I will do is say, I'm going to recap this in-person conversation in response to your long-winded email from yesterday. I'm going to ask that I CC your direct report from the church because this is a church, and in hopes that she understands the problem is not me as a parent. The problem is not my child. The problem is her. It seems like you're getting into a little bit of a power play with her. She's in charge of this thing. She feels she's in charge of your child. She feels this is her domain, and she gets to dictate what will go down. And you're like, this is my child, so therefore it's my domain. And she said, we're not just some babysitter in her email, which I found to be interesting because she was elevating herself. And so she was saying to you, I feel like you are demeaning me as she demeaned your son. So you're in this weird dynamic where somehow she is feeling attacked as she attacks your son. And she, I also asked her explicitly to quit sharing her opinion. And she's like, I can't do that. That would be a disservice to your son. And I said, facts, your child needs intervention services. Your child needs speech. Your child could use maybe an OT evaluation. Facts. Opinions are where you stepped out of line and said he wasn't neurodivergent, that you suspected something outside of neurodivergences. Opinions require consent. We all give her opinion all the time, and she is welcome to give her opinion, but she's also then must accept the consequences of doing such. Right. If she's not careful, it's going to be a lawsuit. There's always a question that you have to ask of why is she pushing this so hard? If it's not benefiting my son, who is it benefiting? 
Mm. My end goal is I believe in her. I believe in this program. I believe in my son's teachers. Lillian, what do your spidey senses say? The thing I would do is drive her to give you so much information that you sink her with it or she convinces you. Never let her be the resounding expert. Make yourself the one, always. This is why I've ended up where I'm at. I have let everybody tell me what they believe, tell me what they think. Okay, give me your data to back that up. And 80% of the time, they have none. Or they give me something, but it's very shallow. And so what I do is I go out and I figure it out on my own because higher sensing is intelligence. And we have to learn to use it. This is what makes great lawyers, great investigators, anybody that has that extra Aaron Brockovichness to them that they go out and figure it out. I say go into her email, pull it apart, and ask her for more, more. This is not enough information. Give me more. And eventually you'll hit the wall where she's right, or she's absolutely wrong. And I'm guessing 80% of it's wrong. That's where I get stuck, right? The contradiction where I was just like, wait, you just said we weren't worried about social, but then you put in this email social. Yeah. And that social thing, let her tell you everything about it. And then I will give you gifted stuff on it because I just went through this too. People keep telling me that my daughter who's 14, who's, who's in college is missing out on social. And when you go to the gifted spaces, you know what they tell you? That child is such an outlier that the best place for them is their home with their families where they're accepted, where they are accepted. If you're being told that your child is not fitting in, it means they're not being accepted. My children have always fit in in some parts and then incredibly not fit in in others. And so what have I done? I've gone into the parts they fit in because why beat your head against a wall? Go into the parts that they're accepted. Do not try to force them to be something they're not. Allow them to be cultivated where they, they can be. If they can't be cultivated in a space, that means they're not supposed to be there. Why have we lost that logic? She's very good at telling you all this information and how it's her opinion. You must do this. But she hasn't given you why. If you nail her to the wall with that, that's where the legal part is. Or you learn and grow. And there's no losing there. Mm. Too many people in our system are doing it because, because they were told that, because they were taught that, but we have a 2D system. It doesn't teach them why it taught them just do it. And so if they're putting it on your child and the world's changing and they're not, they haven't grown, they haven't realized that what worked in the past will not work in the future. They're doing a disservice to the whole entire organization. And you're doing a service to that organization by flushing out the people who can't grow and change. So it sounds like I need to pivot and put in this email and be like, you know what? I still can't let go that on one hand, you empowered my oldest. I'm saying his introvertedness was fine. And yet you also expressed some concern socially. Could you put those down for me? All right, everybody. The baby started crying at this point. So we had to cut off the call. But that was where we left off anyways, Beth Ann has to follow up and see how that goes. And we're going to cover a couple new areas in our next two podcasts, overexcitabilities and how you use them, because they are actually what fosters our children's intelligence. They foster their many perspectives of understanding. And we're going to cover when to push and when to allow them to be the navigator or direct their own way. Thanks so much. Take care. This podcast is not intended to replace professional, medical, or educational advice. 
The views, information, and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent Gifted ND Incorporated, Lillian Skinner, Bethann Johnson, or the Gifted Neurodivergent Child Podcast. This podcast, Lillian Skinner, Bethann Johnson, and the Gifted ND Incorporated are not responsible and do not verify the accuracy of the information contained in this podcast series. The primary purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. The Gifted Neurodivergent Child podcast is only available for private, non-commercial use. Any other use of the information contained within this podcast must be done with the express written approval and knowledge of Lillian Skinner and Bethann Johnson. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute any part of this podcast. The developer assumes no liability for this podcast or its use or any other podcast or other media.